Father, I want to thank you for the grace of Jesus. We gather in this place by the grace of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that by your grace, you would show us what you want us to learn and know from your word. God, I pray that you'd keep us as free from distraction as, as we're able in a room full of people and, and maybe or maybe not thousands of motorcycles that may be passing by us any moment as we hear those sounds of, of those motors. I pray we remember that there are people who are represented by each one of those. Some of them are followers of Christ riding in that just to meet new people for the sake of the gospel. Lord, would you bless that ride? Would you keep people safe as they are journeying to give good gifts to children, um, needy children in this community? And also, Lord, would you remind them, help them to know that the greatest gift ever given is the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would see people saved today. We would hear stories of people who shared the gospel, both in, in de- demonstration and also in declaration. God, I pray that you would be uh, pouring out, even now, blessing on Dan Bailey as ships are in that port this morning. Um, Lord, I pray you'd give him grace to minister the word of Jesus, the, the good news about Jesus to men and women who serve on those ships. Lord, give him favor with them, and I pray you would give great grace to Dan today. Lord, thank you for his faithful ministry. Thank you for the way he's been a part of our fellowship um, for so many years and now as a ministry sent out from among us. Lord, we love him. We want him to be encouraged today. So God, stir his heart with great joy. And Lord, we ask that you would be glorified in us and among us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people say, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter three. This morning, we're going to start a new series of study. Uh, We've been studying through the book of Philippians. We literally are halfway through on our verse-by-verse study of this book, and we're going to take a little bit of a detour. We're actually going to be in Philippians chapter 3, the very next text, but we're actually going to kick off a series of four weeks on a Christmas or an Advent study uh, for our Sunday morning gatherings. And as many of you know, the word Advent um, literally means coming or arrival. It's a time when followers of Jesus celebrate the coming of Jesus into this world and we're reminded that he's coming again, that Jesus will return one day and he'll set everything straight that has been wrong um, because of sin and brokenness. And and there are four uh, traditional themes to Advent, uh, joy, peace, hope, and love. And so each week we'll be marking our time of study with one of those themes. This morning we're we're gonna study joy. We're gonna look at joy and we're gonna see that Jesus came to bring us joy. So, so how many of you know that there is a deep need for joy in our world? You guys see the headlines, deep need for joy in our world. Many of you can actually identify with a story that I read this week. It's in a book that was written by a, a woman whose name is uh, Suzanne Sweeney. And she writes the story about a, a canary that she owned when she was a, a little girl. Some of you guys can identify with this canary. Let's call him Petey. Uh, uh, this canary, she says, was a little canary that sang all day long. One, mo- one day my mom was cleaning out his cage with a small vacuum cleaner when the phone rang. As she stretched out to answer the telephone and simultaneously leaned down to turn off the vacuum cleaner, her other arm tilted up and she accidentally sucked poor Petey into the vacuum cleaner hose. As you can imagine, she was frantic about what had happened to my poor canary. She dropped the phone, ripped open the vacuum cleaner bag, discovered there in the midst of dirt and debris, a a bird-shaped dust ball with big eyes that was my darling little bird completely in shock. 
So she picked him up, rushed him into the bathroom, threw him into the sink, and drenched him with torrents of ice-cold water. Seeing him trembling and shaking with his big, wide, terrified eyes, she grabbed the hairdryer, put it on high, and blew him dry with hurricane-force winds. Believe it or not, Petey survived that traumatic episode. But he never did sing again. Uh, here's the point. Like that little bird, many of you, <laughs> like, was there an all? Did I hear an all? Oh, poor Petey. Uh, many of us have felt that way. That life has dealt us circumstances. Uh, hurricane force winds have blown across our hearts and we have been robbed of our song. We've lost our song. We've lost our joy. There, there's no doubt that we live in the midst of a world that is blowing against our lives in a way where it is hard for people to find genuine, lasting joy in this world. And yet Christmas stands as a celebration that God became a man and his name was Jesus and Jesus came to bring his people joy in the midst of a broken, hurting world that is absent of reasons to be happy. Jesus came to bring us joy. So let's look at joy through the lens of God's word and see what the Bible says about finding joy in Jesus from just our next passage of scripture in Philippians. So Philippians chapter three, verse one I want to read this to to us, and we're not going to spend a ton of time going around to other passages of Scripture, but look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe, or it's a safeguard for you. So here we have the Word of God for us. Here's a command from the Bible, and the command is this. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, who's the Lord? Really quickly, who's the Lord? He's got a name. Let's go back to chapter two, if you guys are not familiar. Chapter two, verse 10, just a couple verses ahead, tell us the name of the Lord. Verse 10 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess, what's that next name? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the Lord. Okay, so you could actually rephrase verse one, the command of the scripture. You could rephrase it this way. Rejoice in Jesus or find your joy in Jesus. So this is really straightforward, guys. I don't think you need to have a PhD. You don't even need to go to seminary, good for me, to be able to understand this. The command of the Bible in our lives is find your joy in Jesus, Rejoice in Jesus. Here's what that means. Joylessness is a dangerous condition because it's actually disobedient to God. Guys, here's a stunning truth. Prolonged joylessness has no place in the life of a Christian. You hear that? Prolonged joylessness has no place in the life of a Christian. And if that hits you hard, I hope it does. I hope it hits our hearts hard this morning. And we're gonna talk at the end how we get joy, how it is it actually comes to our hearts. But I don't wanna get ahead of myself. I just wanna look at this. We are called to rejoice. So what does it mean to rejoice in something? Well, the word rejoice actually means to be in a state of gladness, 
to be in a state of happiness about something. As followers of Christ, our call is to live in a state of gladness or happiness that's marked by rejoicing. To, 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 to so live in a way that we are perpetually, as chapter four, verse, says, verse four says, we are always rejoicing in Jesus. Now here's the deal. As I was thinking through that, I think there's some misconception about rejoicing that comes in our minds. As a matter of fact, I think many people culturally, or at least many people in this room, feel that rejoicing, it necessarily means that you live in this state of like manic, loud, external, exuberant expression. We're under this impression that if you're gonna be a person who's rejoicing, you have to have a a personality, you have to have a display of big, outward, happy emotion. Let me give you an example of that, okay? Um, Do you guys know that I like college football? As aware of, have I told you that before? I can't remember. Do you have any idea who my, the team is that I root for? Anybody, anybody? Okay, somebody, somebody said Michigan. Okay, so here's the deal. We will call you to repent at the close of this service. God knows who you are in this section right here. Seriously, be, be angry and do not sin, Lord. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Okay, I just had to remind myself of biblical verses. Ohio State, so a couple weeks ago, I'm in my, my living room. There was a big game. We got to play our arch rivals, a team from up north that shall not be named today. So there we are, and we're playing this team. And I got to be honest, the Buckeyes didn't play well at all. We had a lot of struggle on offense. We were down by 10 points in the second half. Let me just relive this with you. There we are. We're, we're down in Ohio Stadium, 110,000 screaming fans, and we're about to lose the game in the second half when we came back and we tied up the game before regulation ended. So there we are. It's a tie game. We go to overtime. Nerve-wracking. It's just nerve-wracking. Overtime with that team from up north. It's so nerve-wracking. I had to stand up and watch the game. I couldn't sit down and watch it. I'm standing up. I'm watching. I was actually pacing back and forth behind my couch. Not, not like against the wall. We have a couch out in the middle. That would have been weird. But I was pacing back and forth. And then in overtime, we scored this beautiful rushing touchdown and we won the game. Yes, OH. Yes, good job, congregation. Here's the deal. Do you know what I did? Do you know what I did in that moment? I rejoiced. I jumped up and down. I think I just pulled that hammy again. What is up with the hammy? I, I, I jumped up and down. I, I high-fived members of my family. I, I picked my children up in a bear hug and told them, I love you, and this is what I give to you as my children, inheritance, like the Buckeyes. Anyhow, I sent out these celebration text messages to the people on my list. I, I'm talking to Emily. We're, we're, we're just rejoicing there in the middle of the living room. And here's the deal. Some of you guys can identify quickly with that. There have been things in your life it's probably not Gator football, but things in your life that, that have caused you, did, what did I say? I don't even know what I said. Something happened. Something caused you to rejoice. You were thrilled about some outcome. Now that I've lost you for good, just go, just go, pray for us. Here's the deal though. We've come to associate rejoicing with those kinds of celebration. We, we can quickly identify with that. So much so that if we aren't rejoicing like that, There are a lot of us who feel like we aren't rejoicing. 
if we're not celebrating always with this manic, loud, external display, uh, you feel like, oh, I'm not rejoicing, or that person is not a person of joy because they're not in this state of hysteria. And, And here's the deal, that just isn't true. It's not true that rejoicing always looks that way. As a matter of fact, rejoicing is the inward state of being that comes from a truth that you're encountering or you're contemplating or you're experiencing. It's the inward state of gladness that is joy, that is happiness, that is not always marked by a manic outward expression, especially as it concerns Jesus. Okay, so let me give you another example of this. Rewind a couple weeks ago into that game when I thought we were going to lose the game. I I sat in my living room and I thought about all of the people, 110,000 people in that stadium, just as many from that state up north rooting for their team. And I thought about all the people who one way or the other were gonna be devastated. Someone was gonna lose the game. Someone was going to live the rest of that day in, in just despair because their team didn't win. And in that moment, I rejoiced that my life, my joy doesn't depend on the outcome of a football game. I sat there and I rejoiced in the quietness of my heart. I rejoiced that Jesus has given me things that can't be enhanced and they can't be taken away by the outcome of a college football game. That's what keeps me as a Browns fan. I I have something bigger than all of that. I rejoiced that all of the meaning, all of the hope, all of the satisfaction that are a part of my life, those things are totally secure. They can't be taken away because of Jesus. And you know what I did in that moment, quietly there? I rejoiced in the Lord quietly. And here's the deal. Many of us need a clearer understanding of what it looks like to rejoice in the Lord. Sometimes it includes loud external celebrations. Sometimes it includes quiet, still, meaningful meditation. For instance, I recently visited a man who's a member of our church who, is, who has kidney failure. And the deal is he would rather not die right now. There are things he would love to do if God would prolong his life, but there are things that he believes are completely true about Jesus. They're true about his present state. They're true about his future, even his death, and he is glad those things are true in the middle of his kidney failure. And he isn't able to get up and run around. He cannot jump up and down. He cannot yell and scream in celebration, but he rejoices in the Lord because he's happy in the truth over him that's found in Jesus. That makes sense? I talk regularly with a senior adult lady, Ruby Crawford, such a godly woman who suffers every day with debilitating back pain. Every day of her life is marked by debilitating back pain. Her pain keeps her entirely from being able physically to jump up and down. She cannot raise her arms in joy at all. Her life, every detail of it, the most simple things, they are marked by profound hardness because of her back issues. But when you talk with Ruby, here's what you find out. She is deeply convinced about certain things that are true about Jesus. For instance, she's convinced that one day Jesus Christ is coming back and he's gonna put an end to all of her suffering and pain. 
She's convinced he is going to wipe away every tear she has ever cried from physical or spiritual or emotional pain. She is convinced that there will be no more sorrow. There will be no more sickness. All of those things will pass away. And guess what? She's convinced those things are true. And she's unbelievably happy about it. Even, even when she's laying in the quietness and stillness of her bedroom, unable to move. You know what she's doing in that moment? Happy about the truth of Jesus. Do you know what she's doing in the stillness, quietness, pain, and sorrow of her life? She's rejoicing in the Lord. One last example. I spend a lot of time with families who are mourning the death of a loved one. And, and always, these husbands, wives, children, parents, they, they are rightly and they are deeply grieved over the death of someone they love. God has created us to mourn and grieve the death of those that we deeply love. But in those moments that they are rightly moved and grieved and mourning, many of those families are also completely and thoroughly convinced about certain truths concerning Jesus. Like the fact that Jesus has allowed their loved one through death to enter into the presence of God. And because of Jesus, that loved one is more alive then than they've ever been. That they wouldn't trade places and come back to a suffering planet. They would love to stay forever in eternity around the throne of God. They're convinced of things like we will reunite with our loved ones around the throne of God and forever enjoy the pleasure of his presence. And they mourn and they cry even though they believe those things are true and they're happy those things are true even in their grief do you know what they're doing in those moments that they're happy those things are true because of Jesus they're rejoicing in the Lord so church don't get the wrong idea about joy don't get the wrong idea about rejoicing I know many of you walk into this room and your lives are falling apart your families are falling apart your marriages are falling apart and you're deeply grieved about sin about brokenness, about relational fractions that have taken place, fractures of your your home, and you're mourning and grieving in the midst of that pain. And it's right for you to mourn and grieve in the midst of that pain. But don't allow your grief to overcome the things that are true for you in Jesus. Because in the midst of your pain, Christ still speaks a word to you that is absolutely true and it can't be taken away, and it can't be, it cannot be removed because of the difficulty of your life. It's true because it's true because Jesus Christ keeps his word. Look at joy through the lens of the gladness of heart that you have in your life when you contemplate and believe the truth that comes to us in Jesus. Not, not just when you feel like jumping up and down. You guys get that? All right, let's move on. Here's a couple things. I want to show you from Philippians, since we've already been in this book and we're studying it, I want to show you two truths from the book of Philippians about Jesus that are true for you and I pray will bring you joy in this Christmas celebration. The first thing is this. Jesus came to serve you by sacrificing his life on the cross. Look back at chapter two and we're going to, look, we're going to start reading in verse five. 
We're talking about Jesus coming, right? At Advent, he came to bring us joy. When he came, how did he secure joy for us? Look at chapter two, verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto and not let go of. Verse seven, he emptied himself But look at this, by taking the form of a servant, when Jesus came, he came as a servant to serve his people, to serve you, being born in the likeness of men. Verse eight, and being found in human form as a servant, how did he serve us? Look at this, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When Jesus came, he came as a servant, and the way he best serves you is through his death on the cross. Now, how does his death on the cross serve you as people? Here's how it serves you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made Jesus to be sin for us, even though he didn't know any sin, so that we could become or be made the righteousness of God in him. Here's the deal. Every human being, you and me included, we suffer under our own choice of sin, rebelling against God's desires for our heart. And because we've chosen to rebel against God, God as a just judge is bound to punish our sin. The greatest need we all face is is forgiveness of our sin and restoration with the God we were created to love. But our sin stands in the way until Jesus comes. And when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that God took the sin of all those who would trust in Jesus and he placed it onto Jesus. And he punished Jesus on the cross. Jesus died as a substitute and a sacrifice, paying the price of our sins so that as we trust in Jesus, he gets our sin and we get his righteousness. We get his right standing We get the perfect record of Jesus. The the word is justified. It means just as if I'd never sinned. We get counted just in Jesus. Go over to chapter three. I'll show you this ahead of of schedule. I know we're gonna get to this in the new year. But look at this in verse nine of chapter three. He says, "I, I suffer everything all the standing of life that comes through trying to earn my way right before God, which I can never do. He says, I count all that stuff as loss in verse eight. In verse nine, he says, so that I would know Christ in verse nine and be found in him, in Christ, as, as we trust in Jesus, God places us into Christ and I'm found in him, not having a righteousness, a right standing before God of my own that comes through the law or comes through doing good things, but that, that what? That righteousness, that right standing which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. When you trust in Jesus, that's what faith is, when you trust and depend on Jesus to take your sin and make you right with God, the Bible says he applies the righteous, the perfect record of Jesus' obedience. He applies that to you so that in the sight of Almighty God, the judge of heaven and earth and your very soul, you are counted completely right before God because of Jesus You're forgiven of all your sin. No matter what you have done, the power over your sin and the eternal power of death is broken because of Jesus and can no longer separate you from God. So if you're trusting Jesus Christ who came at Christmas, 
and died on the cross and rose again. If you're trusting Jesus, he is the payment for your sin and you're completely and totally forgiven. That's good news, guys. That's why it's called the gospel. When I was a senior in high school, I, uh, I went out to eat with some of my buddies and my little brother after a, uh, a basketball game. I was in the middle of winter, and while we were in the restaurant, uh, it started to snow. Um, that's what it does in Ohio. You don't see the sun from October to May, and it snows all the time. So welcome to that life. Why did we move to Florida? I can't remember. Okay, there we go. I remember it now. Uh, while we're there, it snows really heavy, heavy there in, in the, the parking lot. Uh, uh, over the ground lay a mantle of white, uh, a heaven of diamonds. No, I'm sorry. That's, a, that's another story. Anyhow, so I take this, this shortcut through the mall, which was by the restaurant so I can avoid the streets. And as I'm going through the mall, I turn a corner in the parking lot and I lost control of the car. Okay, so I'm losing control, spinning around, and there in the middle of acres of empty parking spots, somehow I hit the lone tree in the middle of the parking lot, okay? That's the kind of skill I have behind a wheel. So there I am, my little brother next to me wrecked the car in an empty parking lot, acres of empty spaces, hit that lone tree, and mall security comes driving up. He takes us back to the holding area, kind of like being put in mall jail, and we have to call my dad to come get us. Now, calling my dad to come get us scared me to death. What's dad going to do? How am I going to explain hitting a tree in the middle of acres of empty parking spots? How do you explain that? So I'm certain that when dad comes, I'm going to be transferred from mall jail to exile in my parents' basement until I graduate, right? So dad comes, he tows the car home or calls somebody to tow the car home. I slip upstairs while dad's finalizing things with the, uh, the tow truck driver. That's the lesson we learn as kids, right? As, you know, sneak away while they're distracted. So I go upstairs dreading what dad's going to do and I hear those footsteps coming up the stairs, right? Um, I'm pretty sure that there was a soundtrack playing in the background, like dun, 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 something like that. I don't know. Anyhow, so he comes upstairs. He comes into my room. Do you know what he did? You know what he did? Here's what he did. He had a conversation with me, and it went like this. It was really short. He said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I am, but I'm really sorry, Dad. I'm really sorry. And he said this, something like this. Son, I love you, and I'll take care of it. I just want you and Tate to be safe Now get some sleep and we'll get started on things in the morning. And he he left and I was thrilled. Thrilled until I thought, maybe this is one of those games that parents play, you know? You know how, you know, the psychologically, I don't know, the psychology of parenting, maybe it's it's gonna come in the morning, but you know, morning came and still no wrath. It really was a midnight stay of execution for me. Dad forgave me and everything is well with us. And in an infinitely greater way, here's what you need to hear. No matter how you've wrecked your life, no matter how you've wrecked your life, no matter how inexplicable it is, when you look back and think, how in the world did that ever happen? I wrecked my life. Here's what you need to know. Jesus came so that he could take the payment for your sin upon himself. He enables by his sacrifice the complete and total forgiveness of your wreck, your mess, your sin, and the total restoration of you to God the Father so that God the Father can say to you in the midst of your fear, in the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of your brokenness, son, I love you and I've taken care of it. I want you to be okay. Now get some rest because of Jesus. 
Guys, that's what's true for us in Jesus Christ. No matter what, no matter what is going on in your life today, no matter what has happened by you or to you, here is what the cross of Jesus and the coming of Christ speaks to his people. He came to bring us joy by forgiving all our sin and restoring us completely before God, holy and completely by faith and dependence, not anything that we could do. So no matter what feels wrong about your life, the one big thing that was hanging over you was your condemnation over sin and it's taken away when you trust in Jesus forever so Christmas remember that Jesus came to serve you by sacrificing his life on the cross and be glad about it be happy over it rejoice in the Lord. One last really quick thing. Look back at chapter one, verse six. Not only did Jesus come to serve you by sacrificing his life for you, chapter one, verse six says this. It says that Jesus came to start a work in you that he'll completely finish. Verse six says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? Jesus came to start a work in you, but not a work where he says, okay, now go please God. Now go make it all happen. Now go finish the work that I started. Not at all. He came to start a work in you that he alone will, for, will, will complete, will finish. He forgives you of your sin, but he's also designing your life to transform you into the image of himself. You are going to become more and more and more like Jesus. Do you realize that? As you trust in Christ, he is doing a work in you that he will finish and complete. No matter how you feel today, Jesus starts a work that Jesus finishes. He's transforming your heart to become the kind of person who no longer needs to be forgiven because you, you now love what you should love and you don't love what you shouldn't love. He will glorify his name in you by making you just like Jesus. Listen to how Romans 8 describes this. It says, those that he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, whose name is Jesus, in order that Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those that he predestined, he also called. Those that he called, he justified. And those that he justified are made as if they'd never sinned he also glorified he brought to a glorious completion that is awaiting you no matter what's going on in your life that is awaiting you that you will have a glorious new body and a glorious new eternal life a body that never aches or grows old can I get a witness on that one come on now seriously I'm literally excited about that I'm, I'm assuming you can eat all the ice cream you want and look like a Greek god no. uh, and a fullness of joy that every small lesser joy of earth was just a foreshadowing of that is waiting on you because of Jesus you are forgiven you are restored by the life death and resurrection of Jesus and he started that work so that he would finish that work by his power no matter what so friends Christmas is the reminder Jesus came to start a glorious work in your life and he will complete it so matter no matter what feels wrecked or undone whether it's a relationship whether it is your weakness in your flesh Jesus is going to finish that work so be glad about it
Be happy in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, here's the last thing. Many of you have heard those truths before. I'm teaching many of you things that you didn't need to be taught. You knew were true. But if you were really honest with me, you would say, that still doesn't stir up joy in my heart. I don't feel anything when I hear that. Or I still struggle with joy, even though those things are true. And I do believe that they're true. I can't stir up joy for myself. And in those moments, you want to be honest enough to say, I can't do it and I don't want to fake it. Has ever been in that place where you, think, you hear the command, rejoice in the Lord, be happy in Jesus. You hear great things that are true that you believe, but you can't make yourself feel joyful. You can't make yourself be the kind of person who sits quietly in the midst of your brokenness and pain and rejoices in Jesus. And here's, here's the, the word for you. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need Jesus We need Jesus to do more than just give us reasons to be joyful. We need Jesus to make us the kind of people who have joy in those things. When I said that Jesus came to bring us joy, I meant every word of that. Jesus came to give us joy, not just reasons to be joyful. So if you hear the command, rejoice, always rejoice, always rejoice in Jesus. And something in your heart says, I don't, I can't do that. You have never been nearer to joy than that moment. Because it's when you say, I can't do that. Jesus, will you do that? That the way is prepared for Jesus to do what only Jesus can do, and in this instance, bring you joy, okay? So here's how we're gonna end this morning. I want us to spend a few moments in prayer and actively think about those things that are true for us because of Jesus, all right? So if you would, just bow your heads. Um, In a moment, we're gonna sing another hymn of praise. We're gonna have a time where you're gonna be able to speak or pray with a pastor, but right now let's just focus on you and God. Would you bow your heads into a moment of prayer? And right where you are, would you just think actively about something that's true for you because of Jesus? Maybe it's that you are forgiven of all your sin. Maybe it's that you have a future that's secure in Christ, but something that's true because of Jesus. Think about that. And as you're thinking about that, would you ask Jesus to give you joy over those things? As you're praying for joy in your life, would you pray for the joy of the people in your life? Your spouse, your children, your parents, your, your friends and neighbors, coworkers, someone that God lays on your heart, would you pray that they would find joy in Jesus today? Father, I would ask you, remind us all throughout this Christmas season, including today, of the truth about Jesus. He came to this earth, lived a perfect life we couldn't live, died the death we should have died so that he could pay for our sin and the cross. Father, remind us that Jesus rose from the dead to give us his 
righteous life, his power to live a pleasing life to you. And remind us that we can't make these things true. Father, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? That one of the characteristics of the Spirit's power in us is love and joy and peace. God, would you fill our hearts with a dependence on Jesus that would overflow into a joy because of Jesus. Father, we, we absolutely need you. Absolutely need you. And we praise you that we absolutely have you. God, I pray that you would stir our hearts to think of someone who would be encouraged by this truth today. Someone who is struggling with the guilt of joylessness and needs to be turned to Jesus. Someone who's trying to fake it and drum it up unnaturally. God, would you help us to point them to Jesus that only he can bring this about. Father, would you cause us to share the truth of your word with those that are around us in our life. Be glorified in us today. Be glorified in our joy, whether it is external and, and expressive, or whether it's in the quietness and stillness of our brokenness and pain. Be glorified in our joy as we trust in Jesus to bring it. Lord, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.